0: Hey y'all good to see you all uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Judah I'm one of the pastors here and uh, normally we get to hear from our senior pastor Pastor Lance, but you know occasionally we give him the week off you know trying to take care of him so uh, if you're new, make sure you come back next week so you can hear directly from him. He is powerful uh, but for this week we get to hang out together and uh, if you go to BridgeWay, you know that we've been in our year of power, 2023. That's been our theme. Our year of power being the empowered church, and we've spent the majority of this year in the book of Acts, trying to see what it means to become a church that's full of power. And uh, today we're going to take a little pivot away from Acts, and we're going to be in a different book in the Bible. But we're going to be looking at the teachings of of Paul, and Paul is arguably the most formative voice. Uh, of the church with the exception of, of Jesus. And so we're going to look at some teachings of his today that I, I find really profound and really, really powerful. Uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, I had this opportunity, uh, a friend of mine, uh, a woman by the name of Dr. Cesare Fletcher, uh, she was working on her doctorate of ministry. And she's crazy because she was working on a PhD and a doctorate of ministry at the same time. It's, it's wild to me. She makes me feel like an underachiever. Um, and she was, for her doctor, uh, doctoral project, she was studying the listening practices of pastors. And so she gathered a group of us pastors together and from various backgrounds, there was a Quaker fella, there was a, a pastor who had previously pastored a megachurch in Canada, there were some chaplains, some evangelicals, some charismatics, all, all kinds of different pastors, and she brought us together, and over the course of two years, we studied listening as a theological practice. And then we had to evaluate our own listening skills. Now, I walked into the project thinking, I'm a good listener. I have since learned, not so much. But what I have learned is that listening is powerful. And that's really what I want to talk about today. And so I'm going to give you your fill in the blank right at the top of the message. If you have your bulletin that they handed you uh, when you walked into the building or if you're watching online or through the app, your fill in the blank is this. Listening is a foundational Christian practice. Listening is a foundational Christian practice. Before we go any farther, I do want to give a little disclaimer Uh, We're gonna be talking a lot about listening, and you're gonna hear me uh, use the words listening and hearing kind of interchangeably. And I wanna acknowledge that there are folks who are part of our family who are non-hearing and hearing impaired. And if I was non-hearing and I showed up to a service and they were talking about listening and and, and hearing and how it's critical to Christianity, that might feel like ableist language. But what I wanna be clear about is that when we talk about listening and hearing, we are not simply talking about sound, hitting the eardrum. We are talking about the ability to perceive information. And what's beautiful about that is that that is something that everybody can do, whether you're hearing or non-hearing. In fact, uh, one of the people who listens to me best is a deaf man. His name is Mike. Mike is always going to wear a leather black vest. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It can be 120 degrees outside. Mike is going to wear that leather black vest. When you see him, you'll know. And every week he comes up to me and he asks me how I'm doing, and I tell him, you know, how I'm doing, and he listens to me so intently, and and for him, listening is reading my lips, Um, but he models for for us how you perceive information, so um, just want to put that disclaimer out, and look, ultimately, I believe that God is going to use this time together where we're talking about listening Um, to empower us, to help us to be better believers, to help us walk this Christianity thing out uh, really well, and to help us live lives that listen. And I think it's only the providence of God that he would want to deal with us on listening right as we're getting ready to enter into a really contentious election season, right as there's a ton of geopolitical uh, chaos happening all over the world, and when everybody's on, on, on the face of, of book and the Instagram with the mic talking a lot and not doing a lot of listening, I think it is God's timing that he would deal with us on listening. So much of my material today, in addition to the biblical passage, is um, teachings by Dr. Chesare Fletcher, who's uh, watching, and um, also several just really good books, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Um, Listening, uh, The Listening Life by Adam McHugh, Listening to the Groans by Trevor Hudson, and Streams of Living Water by Richard Foster. I just like to give folks their credit when they teach me um, some profound stuff. But for much of our message today, we're going to be in the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 27. Romans chapter 8 verses 22 through 27. These verses are interesting because they come midway in the passage and they're between these two giant passages that everybody knows, right? Uh, So at the beginning of Romans chapter 8 is that scripture that says there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're familiar with that? And then at the end of Romans chapter 8 is another huge passage that's really, really popular that says neither death nor life nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. You're familiar with that one, right? So you have no condemnation, nothing can separate you. And then right in between those two giant passages, you have this set of verses that talks about groanings. And the reality is that the verses in between the two big passages, these verses about groanings, are really what ground the two passages in theological and practical reality. So let's read it together. Romans chapter eight, verses 22 through 27. Romans chapter eight, 22 through 27. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, likewise. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now I'm going to work through this text slightly out of order. I'm going to start kind of uh, at the end and then kind of work our way backwards. But in this passage, we see the Apostle Paul acknowledging groanings that there are these groans, there is the sound of groanings that he is acknowledging, and he mentions three groans specifically. He mentions the groans of the spirit inside of us, he mentions the groans of creation, and he mentions the groans of our inward selves. I, I, wanna, I, I wanna start with the groans of the spirit. But I'll tell you, until I joined the Sacramento Theological Friendship Circle, which was the cohort that Dr. Cesare organized of these pastors, I, I never realized how central listening is to Christianity. And when you say it out loud, it's kind of like, duh, like you, you, you need to listen. But I have been so convicted about this, this theology of listening that I now stand on the premise that our success or failure as believers is predicated on our ability to hear, to listen. And it is the one thing that the entire body of Christ, Methodist, Catholic, Episcopal, all all the body can do if you don't develop any other evangelistic skill. Like if you can't preach and maybe you can't sing and maybe you ain't got no business in kids' way because you're like me and you'll throw a fourth grader down a flight of stairs if they talk back. (laughs) The one thing that you can do is contribute hearing to the body of Christ. And so what I'm hoping is that by the time you walk out of here, you walk out of here with a deeper commitment to listen. You decide to hear because when we hear, God's power is made manifest in us because we are more aligned with his dream for us. Even in the beginning, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, on the first page, we meet the primeval universe and we're told that it is empty and chaotic and dark, but it has an ear because it is able to hear and listen to to the voice that pierces through the darkness. God commands light, and the cosmos hears and obeys. Light comes running, and because it hears and obeys light and life and order supplant what was once a watery emptiness, God spoke and something heard, and so this first act that we see from God in Genesis, it demands that everything that is not God should hear and should first and foremost hear God. Look at look at verse 26 in, in, in the Roman chapter. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We know what we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I, I think that there's something something about listening to the groanings of the Spirit. And we see all throughout the Bible how harmful it has been when we don't listen well. We, we see the eternal damage done when our ears are not trained well, because if you go just a little further in Genesis, just a few more pages, what you'll see is that the first sin that launched the damnation of humanity was man's failure to listen to his creator when his creator said, don't eat that fruit, my dog, leave it alone. And he doesn't listen. And so we have to take seriously the the implications of listening for our own lives and the lives of those around us. I'm really gonna drill down on this listening well for the sake of others, because it is to Adam that God says, don't eat from that tree. And it is Adam who fails to properly hear and respond and, and help his partner to properly hear and respond to the good, sound, wise advice of his God and you and I suffer and struggle and hurt today because someone failed to hear. I really believe that listening is what we're designed for. Even, even in the beginnings of human life, you know when a baby's in the womb, the, the, the baby very quickly learns the, to, to hear the, the mother's voice and, and the father's voice and the sounds in the environment around the pregnant mother um, when I was in college, I fell in love with this show. It was called The Golden Girls. I love that show. You can judge your mama. I love that show. And I remember one Christmas, I came home, and I was talking to my mom. I think I was a senior or a junior or senior. And I was telling my mom, oh, mom, I love this show. It's called The Golden Girls. It's about, like, four older women and their wild adventures in the world. And my mom kind of chuckled, and she told me, about how she had been so sick during her pregnancy with me that she basically could only lie on the couch. And she said, I would just watch The Golden girl Girls ad nauseum when pregnant with you. And I didn't know that when I fell in love with the show. And it's, it's just kind of funny how the, 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 the sound of it gives me comfort even to this day, because I heard it, right? And, and so we know that hearing motivates behavior right? So much of what shapes children is what they hear. If somebody calls your name, you can be in a whole different country, but if you hear your name, you will turn your head to see who called you, right? If we put on your favorite song, you get to snapping your fingers and bobbing your head and dancing to it because dance is our obedience to music. It, it speaks to the reality that what you hear dictates what you do. And listening is intrinsically tied to action. And in the beginning, there was hearing. And it was and still is, I believe, at the center of what it means to be human, to be alive or to be dead. Genesis teaches us that we are gathered and formed by God's voice, that we are given purpose by hearing what is said about us and about our God. And then we are redeemed and restored and included and held together by his word. I I, I imagine that God really believes that listening is important as it is mentioned in our Bible 1,500 times, 1,500 times, listen is mentioned in our Bible. And the most frequent complaint about people in in the Bible is that they don't listen. Mm. For like five or six years in a row, there was a season in my life where um, every summer I was invited to Canada to teach. And I I was teaching high schoolers and, and young adults and one summer I decided that we were going to spend that summer uh, learning the Shema. The Shema is a prayer uh, that uh, religious Jewish people um, recite. And what's important to understand is that it's not just any prayer. It is the central prayer to what it means to be ethnically and religiously Jewish. It comes out of the book of Deuteronomy. And from, 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 from your, the day you're old enough to talk, uh, you are memorizing this prayer—it It is so important to them, they will write it on strips of paper and tie it to their hands. They will write it on pieces of paper, put it in little square boxes, and tie it to their foreheads. Many, many, many homes in Israel and really across the Jewish diaspora have um, what's called mazuas on their front door, which are little holders that hold uh, the prayer, the shema. And there's not really an American and evangelical kind of equivalent to the Shema but 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 the best I could do to kind of help you understand how deeply meaningful it is to the Jewish people is the Shema would be like if you took the Pledge of Allegiance right which has historic pieces, patriotic pieces, um, identity pieces, a lot of people place uh, their, their their kind of American identity kind of in the pledge so if you took the Pledge of Allegiance and then you mixed it with like your favorite worship song like whatever one makes you cry and snot and you can't even be dignified uh, with it. If you mixed all that together, you would have something similar to the Shema, that this, 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 this recitation that is deeply meaningful to you. And so one summer I went up to Canada, and, and, and that's what we were talking about. And so uh, we learned the Shema, and we actually learned it in Hebrew. And so it was cool to like see all these little kids uh, shouting, shouting Hebrew. And it goes like this. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kavod Malchutol Alam. Va'ed, your turn. (laughs) See, y'all weren't paying attention, see what happens? In English it says, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It said, blessed be the name of your glory and your kingdom forever and ever. And it goes on to say, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And What's super interesting about it is that there is some variation regarding the English translation, like how it translates to English. There's some debate about the exact words, but the one thing that everybody agrees on is how it begins. It begins with the word shema, which means here. And what I love about Hebrew, even though I almost failed it, it was the closest thing to derail in this pastoral career, what I love about Hebrew is that it is an active language. It is not a watery language. Uh, they don't play with their words. And often Hebrew words will have layers of meaning, right? And so it's cool because the, the word for hear is shema, but shema is also the word for obey. And it means that, that listening is never passive, that the birthplace of discipleship is our ability to hear. Remember, it is at the sound of Jesus' voice that his disciples drop their nets and decide to follow him, right? And so when we talk about listening, when we talk about hearing, we're talking about a journey of intentional focused um, attention. And somewhere in this process, we've gotten things a little bit mixed up and speaking has become the priority over listening. Uh, I myself, I find myself Interrupting people all the time or wanting to interrupt people all the time just because I think I know what they're going to say. Uh, I find myself completing other people's sentences or, or missing what they're saying because I'm like formulating my own thoughts and opinions. And I find that too often I am taking up more space than I allow for others. Uh, we we do this thing where we really consider ourselves experts on all the things like we don't still have more to learn. And then we build for ourselves ourselves these lives that shelter us from listening. We move into churches and neighborhoods with folks whose views parallel our own. We avoid the the dissonance created by multiple voices and we settle into our little truth corners and we build broken life there. We build echo chambers there. We are drunk on our own voices and, and it is a violation of life. It violates God's orders. You have probably heard that, that old adage, you have two ears and one tongue for a reason, right? There's this psychology professor, his name is um, David Banner, and he says that the biggest barrier to us becoming good listeners is we think we already are. Oh, it hurt my feelings. I closed this book. <laughs> we think we already are good listeners when everything in our society says that we're not. Isn't it it interesting that we will pay thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to get up out of our beds, wash our backs, get in the car, drive to the other side of town so we can sit down and somebody can listen to us. And don't get me wrong, I have tremendous value uh, in therapy. I've been in therapy for a long time. I believe in it. I think everybody should be on it. It's a deal breaker for me on a date. However, I think the fact that there is such a need for therapy speaks to us being a people impoverished in the area of listening. I think it's weird that the great task we assign to Christianity is preaching instead of listening. We call the leader the preacher instead of the hearer. Adam McHugh says that we speak in volumes, but we listen in snippets. I closed his book, too. So I wonder what would happen if we approached everything from a listening first perspective. If we approached God listening first. God, before I get to asking you for all the things that I want and all the things that I need, which is not a bad thing, God says, come to him and ask and he will give according to his will. But before I get to my I need list, Lord, I just want to hear you. What if we approached people, from a listening-first perspective, before I come and tell you what I need from you or what I want you to do or all the issues that I have with you or what I think about you, I just want to hear you. I just want to sit down and not just hear your words, I want to hear your heart. What would happen if I approached my own emotions, approached my own emotions hearing first? If I said, before I express my emotion, I'm going to hear it. What is that anger saying? What is that hurt saying? What is that fear saying? Before I express it, I I just, I really believe that talking will not make our relationships what we want them to be. I really believe that that talking will not help us find fulfillment. I don't believe that our identities will be discovered through talking. I don't think our souls will be refreshed through our mouths. I don't think we're going to find transformation through talking. I believe that it comes from listening first. And as believers, our obligation to learn how to listen comes from a desire to learn how to love, right? If you go back to the Shema, it says, hear your command to love. What's the great command? To love God and to love people. And it's not easy. I mean, it's gonna include like bite marks on your tongue. You might have like some broken armchairs from how tight you were gripping your chair, trying to, to, to listen better. I, I will never say that listening is easy or fun But it is necessary. And I think it's what will set us apart from from the rest of the world. And look, I'm not good at it. I am not good at listening. I thank God that he recognizes it. And that a part of the redemption that he offers us is the reborn capacity to hear. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, David says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And I want to focus for a moment on the portion of the text that says, my ears you have opened, because a more literal translation would be, my ears you have dug. And what a, a beautiful and also painful image of God taking a a spade to our skulls and, and digging, digging through, you know, hard, compact, rocky dirt, but digging us new holes on the sides of our heads that we might hear. Another translation says, God pierced my ears. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 50 and five, he said, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious nor did I turn away. And the fact that the author is so honest and says, and I was not rebellious and I did not turn away, it speaks to his temptation to be rebellious and turn away. It speaks to the reality that listening is not easy. But I still think it's so cool this image of God awakening our ears, that we might hear the lives we are called to live. I love the idea that a major component of us being new creatures is the reborn capacity to hear, is, is having new, freshly dug, newly awakened ears. What that means is we are no longer slaves to old ears that we are no longer slaves to the biases and the filters we hear through, but we are actually able in Christ to perceive information accurately and to use it to build the kingdom. There is a a fairly common condition that's called vertigo. Some of y'all are familiar? Anybody who has vertigo will tell you, one, it sucks. But uh, when you have vertigo, you feel like either you or the room around you is spinning. And often people who experience vertigo uh, lose balance easily. They get dizzy. They stumble and fall. They often feel sick. And what's interesting about vertigo is that vertigo is actually a condition of the inner ear. It is a condition of the inner ear that causes dizziness and causes stumbling and falling. And and I would use as an analogy that the condition of sin is like spiritual vertigo. It It is a dysfunction of our ears that causes us to stumble and fall. And God's redemption of spiritual vertigo is giving us the gift of ears. Think about that for a second, the gift of ears. I know you know about the gift of preaching and the gift of worship leading and the gift of administration and prophecy and intercession and all that, but, but when was the last time you said, God, give me the gift of ears, help me to hear? And what amazes me about God is that he does not ask us to do what he has not done. Uh, you may be familiar with the passage in 1 John that says, uh, we love God because God first loved us. And what I'm learning is that this also applies to listening we listen to God and to people because God first listened to us. He first heard us. He first responded to us. God shamans us. And the Bible is full of accounts of God shemaing his creation. Uh, one of our leaders in BYA uh, on Thursday was leading our call to worship, and, and she was talking about Hagar and how Hagar is this, this little girl who is enslaved and, 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 and basically kidnapped, taken into a, a strange household, seen only for the value of her body and what it could produce, her owner decides to sleep with her, impregnates her, and when his wife uh, realizes the ways it has impacted the household, things get so rough for Hagar that she runs away twice. The second time she runs away, she's out in the desert with her young son. He's dying. She's expecting to die soon. And the Bible says that God reached down and lifted them and ministered to them and helped lead her into the next steps for her life. And, and the, 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 the experience of being heard by God was so profound for Hagar that when she describes the experience, she called him Jehovah El Roy. The God, It often often people translate and say, the God that sees me, but a better translation is the God that perceives me. The God that is able to take the information from me and use it well. And there can be no greater example of God shemaing his creation than the atoning work of Jesus a Jesus who heard and responded to our brokenness and to our rejection and heard our desperate cry for redemption, how low must God bend to hear us? I mean, think about how low, it'd be like if I asked you, if I said, I need you to tell me about the secret conversations of ants, right? You would like have to put your face in the mud. I mean, lay down on your belly in the mud if you thought you were gonna hear something from ants, right? The psalmist wrote this in in Psalm 116. He said, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call upon him as long as I live. David equates his love for God. He ties it directly to recognizing that his God heard him. And so you and I, we listen, we hear, we shema, because God did it for us. We move toward a life that listens because it's a command. Hear Israel. There's no please at the beginning, it's not a request. We move toward this life of listening because it is how we fully participate in the dream of God. We listen out of obedience. And because it produces empathy and, and it creates connection because it's, it's, it's how we survive. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, it implies that we have to be good listeners. Hearing is, is how we meet Jesus. And so I want to reintroduce listening as a radical act of worship. I want to introduce listening as a spiritual discipline, as a way of being. On the most basic and practical level, what that means is that I am no longer approaching conversations from an I talk and then you talk and then I talk perspective, but now I'm approaching conversations from I listen and then you listen and then I listen and then you listen. Oh, that's good. I just saved somebody's marriage. You're welcome. You're welcome. Somebody's gonna stay married. And when I'm listening, what I'm really doing is I am leaving my comfort zone. I am leaving my place of convenience and of privilege and of status and my place of opinion. And I am entering into someone else's. And, you know, the the beauty is, contrary to popular belief, you actually don't lose yourself when you listen to people. One of the things that gets in the way of people listening is they're so afraid, I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to lose my perspective. I'm going to lose my framework, my worldview. But you actually don't lose yourself when you enter into someone else's space any more than Jesus lost his godhood coming into this earth as a human. Jesus remained 100% man while being 100% God. At the same time, you can multitask. You can be exactly who you are and still enter into someone's spaces with integrity. And so listening is this, this dichotomy of sacrifice, but also gain. And so Paul says, he says, listen to the groans. And there's, there's a, a groan he explicitly mentions. He talks about the groans of creation. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And the word groan is represented in the Greek using several different words. It is used as both a noun and a verb, and there are, there are lots of different words that, that, that are often used in Greek for, for the word groan, naak and anak and nehi and, and several others. But, but in this passage, the, the word that the author uses is the word stenazo. And, and, and it, it really deals with this deep exertion of sound tied to unbearable pain, groans. And Paul tells us to listen to the groans, which is really quite antithetical to what is often taught in Christian spaces, right? Like how much of our liturgy and our songs say, hey, just ignore all the bad things happening in the world because you're a Christian and you get to go to heaven right? How many problems do we just throw our hands up and say, well, it's never going to be right until Jesus comes back, so we'll just turn our backs to the groans. But Paul tells us, listen to them. And he tells us it between telling us there is no condemnation in Christ, then he says, listen to the groans, and then he says, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. It's quite an interesting concept sandwich, if you will, Paul likens the sufferings in this world to the sounds that a woman makes in childbirth. I find that interesting. My mother is a birth coach by profession, so I have been adjacent to a lot of births. Um, the joke in, in my friend group is, if you accidentally go into labor, if you're with Judy, you would be all right. I don't know what they think I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit there and cry and pray. <laughs> but if you've ever been in a birthing room, you know that there is a sound that a woman emits when she's giving birth, it's not cute, it's not pretty, them eyelashes done fell off, that makeup is smudged, like it's, it's, it's a real thing. And, 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 and when you think about what happens in childbirth, when you consider third and fourth degree perennial tears and you, and you think about the, the possible rupturing of the uterus and you think about the bruising and the bleeding, it makes sense that a woman would make that kind of sound. And Paul likens the groans of creation, he says they sound like that. And he notes that the sound that creation makes reminds us that something has gone terribly wrong in the world. That every time there is death or disaster, we are reminded there is an issue. This was particularly vivid to me a couple years ago during the Paradise fires, y'all remember that? Up near Chico, there was this little town called Paradise and basically the town burned down. It was really, really traumatic. And I used to do a lot of work up in Chico, and I was uh, sitting at an In-N-Out with a friend of mine one day, and this was a couple years after the fires had passed, and she just starts crying all of a sudden, and she talks to me about how she woke up that morning and looked out of her window, and the fire was right there getting ready to take their house, and how her mother runs in her room, hands her the keys, and says, get in the car and go, I'll contact you when you can. And she says, well, mom, what about you? What about dad? What about my other siblings? What about the cats and dogs? And her mom says, I don't have time to get everybody organized at the same time. You're ready. Go. We'll call you when I can. And she talks about how she gets in the car with her cat and she drives away and she's stuck in traffic for seven or eight hours. It was so backed up. There was nowhere for her to get out. She, she actually ends up needing to relieve herself in the car while holding her cat and wondering if her siblings and her parents and, and her pets are alive. And I, I praise God because everybody survived except for the pets. And... It, 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 it's a reminder, of hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, fires, these kinds of disasters remind us that when we denied our creator in the beginning, that we disrupted not only our lives and relationships, but that of all of creation. The reality is the brokenness of creation is directly tied to our rebellion. And so it hurts in a spiritual sense to acknowledge that the paradise fires, that my rebellion has contributed to. That in, in, in some way, it's my fault. And I can't distance myself from it. And Paul says that the earth is groaning and longing for redemption. He uses the same Greek word that is used to describe an Israel enslaved in an inhumane Egyptian a slave trade, crying out to their creator, deliver us. It's that same word. And to listen to the groanings of creation is to take seriously that we are the source of its pain. And so we shema creation, not out of of an act of guilt, but out of an act of love. And I find that listening to the groans of creation is inseparable from listening to the groans of poor, marginalized people groups, of less privileged folks, the folks who feel nature's cries the greatest. Uh, it is the poor who die from famine and fire and flood, from unclean water and lack of shelter. It is the impoverished who feel natural disasters the hardest and have the most difficulty recovering from them. Those who don't have health care or nutrition or or even emotional care. It is the poor who experience the deepest consequences from conflict. You wanna know who's, who's hurting the most in this Israeli-Palestinian conflict? It is poor people. It is moms and dads and cousins and brothers just trying to live life. Those are the people who are suffering. And what we need to be really careful about is the way we are selective with listening to our groans the ways that we tend to only listen to groans that are most convenient to us, that are most tied to our interest, or that are the easiest to relate to. And what that can allow you to do is miss opportunities to be Jesus' hands and feet. I remember I was so proud of us last year when we as a, as a church community and as like a wider global community, when we stood up because we heard the groanings of Ukraine and we stood up and we answered that call. It was such a beautiful example of listening. The same week that Ukraine was invaded, Yemen was invaded, bombed by Saudi Arabia. The same week that Ukraine was invaded, Syria was bombed by one of its neighboring countries. Haiti still has not recovered from decades of natural disaster. Brazil is still not funneling basic resources like sewer and water into poor black neighborhoods called favelas. The Congo has had 6 million deaths since 1998 due to geopolitical violence. And so as we are deeply concerned about the sovereignty and integrity and dignity of a Ukraine, and as we are deeply concerned about the sovereignty, dignity, and integrity of an Israel, let us also be deeply concerned about the sovereignty, dignity, and integrity of Palestinians who have been displaced. Let us also be concerned about the displacement of Aboriginal communities in Australia. Let us also be concerned about the displacement of people right here in the United States. Do you know whose ancestral home this church is built on? The Miwok people. Have you ever met a Miwok person? What happened to them? Where do they live? What has been their experience? I know that we cannot listen to all the groans all the time, but we have to do a better job of casting a wider net in terms of how we listen so that we can be helpful. And hear me, when we talk about listening to the groans, we're not talking about this, just some sort of abstract ecology, but we're really talking about an action motivated by love, because when we listen, and we ask ourselves the hard questions about how we contribute to this world we share, about how we use energy and dispose of waste, about how and where and what we build, about how and where and what we pay for and for whom, it is a shaming creation. When we consider that poverty is tied to humanity's rebellion, to our rebellion, We can't criminalize poverty in the same way we used to. We can't ignore the changes in the earth the way that we used to. We can't can't dismiss the man panhandling on the side of the road despite his drug addiction. We can't reject the immigrant and the refugee in the same way, especially considering that Jesus was both an immigrant and a refugee, but we'll talk about that another time. If our ears are pressed to the heart of creation, hearing it groan, It changes us. And here's the good thing. We keep our ears open for listening to creation's groans. Not to be perpetually depressed. Y'all are looking at me like it's it's real depressing right now, Judah. (laughs) But But we listen to the groans and to creation because we know that it's not the last chapter. These are not deathbed groans that Paul is describing. They are delivery groans. They are the kind of groans that precede the birth of something new and something beautiful. And here's the other beautiful thing about listening to creation: creation sings. She sings of God's glory and His splendor. The birds carol about a God who provides for them just because. the The, the, the trees stretch their hands toward a God too big to conceive, with arms adorned with leaves that communicate God's brilliance, and that he came out with a million ways to say the color green. Creation sings. The psalmist wrote in the 19th division, he said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voices goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. I mean, when was the last time like you watched a sunset or a sunrise? Creation preaches. It preaches the good news that even in the midst of turmoil, there is hope. And the groans of creation help instruct us on how we participate in building that hope in sharing that hope and extending that hope to the folks who are most in need. Uh, We're fast approaching Christmas season and I just want you to be reminded that before men, it was the stars that had learned about the secret of Christ's birth and the stars that guided the, the, the wisest of men and the highest of kings and the lowliest of shepherds to the Savior and so I'm just suggesting that that maybe we ought to take some time to close our eyes and listen to the groans and sermons of creation, what are they saying? What is creation beckoning you to hear and respond to and if you listen carefully, you'll begin to hear this crescendo that's going to inevitably climax in the return of Christ and his return is gonna be preceded by what? A sound. The Bible says the trumpet will blare upon Jesus' return in Thessalonians. And so Paul acknowledges these groans of the spirit inside of us, the, the groans of creation. And then he talks about the groans of our inward selves. We have groans. We, the, the, the chosen, the beloved, the masterpieces, God's workmanship, those of us who have the first fruits of the spirit, Christians, we still have groans as we wait for the return of Jesus And one thing that has helped grow so much empathy in me is when I realized that that every person that I ever come into contact with, every single person, black, white, blue, green, tall, short, whatever, sits next to their own pool of tears. Every person in this room sits next to their own pool of tears. And I feel like Paul's words admonish us to, to stop sitting next to our pools of tears and learn to swim through them, because that is the space in which Jesus wants to do work in us. And I admit that listening to your own groans can feel chaotic. It's kind of like teaching fourth grade. I taught fourth grade for one year, and after that one year, I disinvited myself from returning. I said, I'm going to work in the church, it's better. And if you've ever taught fourth grade, you know it's, it's crazy because you've got like one student standing on a desk and another one drooling and one chewing on a desk and the one fighting and one eating hot Cheetos in the back. And there's a lot going on. And that can be overwhelming. And often when when people are overwhelmed by their inward groans, they, they do one of two things. Either they practice self-medicating where they do whatever they feel is necessary so that they don't have to feel what they feel. Right, Whether that's smoking, drinking, having sex, overeating, binge-watching Netflix, we we self-medicate, or there are folks who who practice self-abdication in the name of Christianity, and that we ignore what we're feeling because we're Christian. Just focus on God. And Paul is teaching us. That what happens inside of you has meaning and it matters. That anxiety is a groan and it matters. That knee pain is a groan and it matters. That jealousy that rises up in you, that's a groan and it matters. That resentment is a groan and it matters. And everything that's happening inside of you, your thoughts and feelings and bodily sensations and responses and impulses, all of these things are connected and they're trying to teach you. So the question is, what can I learn from listening to me? And instead in this age of extraordinary distraction, we have become deaf to ourselves, unwilling or at least unable to, to hear what's within. And I'm telling you, listening to those inner groans are how Jesus helps you to take off the old you and put on the new you, the truest you, the you that he designed, and I, I'll tell you, if. How you listen to yourself determines how you listen to others. If you dismiss your own groans, your own emotions, your own feelings, you will dismiss that of others, too. So, in fact, listening well really, to yourself, really helps you to be a better partner in every relationship that you have because it helps you to stop seeing others as other. Uh, my favorite po- well, one of my favorite poets is um, an ancient Latin poet. His name is Terence. And he had this quote, he said, I am human, therefore nothing human can be alien to me. Listening well teaches you integrity because a listening life is an honest life. And when we don't listen to our own hearts, when we don't press our ears to our own hearts, we live as liars all the time. How many times have you been asked, how you doing? And you let that lie fall out your mouth so fast, don't you? I mean, just fall out your mouth. You don't even, don't even think about it. And maybe it's because the, the, the process of examining how you feel and then trying to articulate it is, is difficult. But hear me when I say it is not a sin to sit and hear your own brokenness. The Bible says Jesus wept. And he wept simply because he was sad because his heart was breaking, and he allowed it to break. He could have said, I'm not going to cry right now because I'm getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead in a couple minutes, and everything's going to be fine, but instead, he allowed himself to feel his very human heart break. Some of y'all are sitting here today with stapled, duct-taped hearts, and you won't allow yourself to feel what you feel. He let his heart break. And I believe that that, that, that listening to the groans of ourself is parlant, um, admonishing us to be present with what's going on inside of us. So, so how do we do all this listening, Judah? I'm glad you asked. One thing I would suggest is that you need to create time and space and quiet for listening. That, that, that you actually, if the wind is blowing and the rain is howling and thunder is clapping, it's gonna be really hard to hear what's around you, so you may need to get in your car and drive to a quieter climate. We call this retreat. I remember uh, Dr. Cesare made us uh, practice some intentional silence and seclusion, um, and you know, the introvert in me started praising God as soon as she said it. She was like, we're gonna go away and we're not gonna talk to any people. And I was like, hallelujah, woman of God, I see what you're doing in the earth. And that silent retreat, I don't remember how many days it was. The first day was fine. The first day was lovely. I just was walking around the retreat center, just being quiet. That second day, I got to itching, you know. I'm, going, I'm not gonna tell you a lie, I, I tried to sneak off campus Um, I was like whispering to janitors and stuff like I just needed somebody to talk to because what you what you learn is that as you turn down the outer volume the inner volume gets louder and you have to face what's inside of you and that takes courage in fact most people are not able to take uh, not able to face what's inside of them right. It, it, it takes courage to sit with you, just you, without the noise and distraction, without, without the glow of accomplishments and, and goals met or being worked on, without the validation of friends and, and, and family. I mean, who am I without my habits? Who am I without my, my rhythm, my routine, my relationships? Who am I without the familiarity of cycle? It takes courage to sit with a stark, fragile reality of you. I was so glad when when, when that silent retreat was over, the first thing I did was drive to the Starbucks. I know that man at the window was so tired of talking to me. How are you, sir? I'm real good, it's good to see you, I like your shirt. (laughs) This sort of lifestyle, that that seclusion and retreat practice is what we see Jesus model regularly, right? He, He went into the wilderness so that he could hear his body say, I'm hungry. He went into the wilderness to get away from all of the the distractions of his day-to-day life that made it hard for him to hear. And the hard thing is, it's a vulnerable space because that's exactly the moment when the devil decided to run up on him and tempt him and mess with him. But it is also, in that very space where he found the strength to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Get out of my face. You can't have me. You can't use me. You can't touch me. I will be what God wants me to be. He found that strength in the vulnerability of retreat. I would also tell you, it's gonna be important that you practice listening on purpose. My friends from the Theological Practice Circle, we practice listening. We get together. Sometimes, we, one time we got together together, and all we did was, was we listened to this series of interviews from people who had left the church. And what's so funny <clears throat> is after we had listened to about an hour uh, of these interviews, immediately, all of these pastors, we start trying to solve the problem. Immediately. We're like, well, that's because they had a bad pastor, and if they had gone to my church, they wouldn't have gone through all that. That's what happens when you go to bad churches, right? <laughs> Instead of just listening and, and being present with us. So, so, so we practice listening so that we can grow as listeners, as hearers. And then as you're listening, you're gonna need to name what you hear. What you hear inside of you, what you hear from creation, and what you hear from the spirit. You're gonna need to name it, to own it. Too often, we don't listen until until the sound is blasting through the speakers. We don't listen to anxiety until it becomes a nervous breakdown. We don't listen to fear until it becomes an attack. We we don't listen to our bodies until they get really sick, and that's, that's that's a real late time to start listening. I am learning not to run from what I hear, but to embrace it, not become enslaved to it, but to perceive it so that I can eventually interpret it and use it. And so I ask God, what are you saying to me? What are you, what are you saying to me, spirit inside of me? What, what is creation saying to me? And what am I saying to me? And what I think is that as you begin to listen better, you're going to hear all kinds of new things. You might hear a calling to to showing up for marginalized people in a different way. You might hear the need to refresh and revamp and, and restructure your life. You may hear God beckoning you into something deeper, into something more, but as you listen, you will hear new things. And hearing must always be married to response. So what I just want to encourage you to do is invest wholeheartedly in living A listening, obedient life. Luke said, blessed are those who rather hear God and obey. And so as we close today, uh, I'm gonna invite you to practice some listening. Uh, I'm going to invite you to take the next minute or minute and a half, and just sit with your phone put away and just listen. You can be listening to the spirit of God. God, what do you wanna say to me? You can listen to what's going on inside of you, what's happening in my heart, what am I feeling? What am I feeling in my body? You can listen to your surroundings. There are a lot of people around you, you can listen to that. But I'm gonna invite you to just sit and close your eyes for a moment and listen. Let me pray for you. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kavol, Makoto Lo'alam, Amen.